Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This is Chapter 11 in a temporary reformatting of the show as we document what's happening in and around the city due to the impact of the COVID-19 coronavirus. I hope that the stories getting told in these episodes are educational, that they're informative, um, inspiring, hopefully maybe a little bit entertaining. You know, we're, we're all at home, and at home we encounter the same voices all day. I think it's good to hear from others. And it's good to know how our city is responding to the crisis in general, especially when cases continue to rise in the panhandle. And as I've said before, this podcast is free, but it's not cheap. And so I'm especially grateful for the local businesses who continue to support it. This is a tough moment to be dependent on advertising. But if your business has any interest in supporting the podcast, I've just completed a demographic study of the Hey Amarillo audience, and it's really unique, and it's rapidly growing. Um, it's, it's a fascinating set of people. Uh, I'd love to share that with you, so contact me if you're interested. Today's episode is sponsored by SKP Creative. SKP is a full-service marketing agency, and I asked them if they wanted to communicate anything different this time around, and they said, well, they really just want to encourage people to shop at local businesses whenever possible and to support Amarillo's nonprofits. Well, I love that idea, and so that's the sponsor message. Take care of our local businesses, especially our restaurants right now. So with SKP's permission, I want to point you to visitamarillo.com slash restaurants. Uh, It's the website of our friends at the Convention and Visitor Council, and they've assembled a working list of Amarillo restaurants that are doing pickup and delivery. Now, the CDC has stated that there's currently no evidence to support transmission of COVID-19 through food. So you can feel okay about that, uh, about eating food prepared by others. And if you're tired of cooking at home, uh, this is a great time to order some takeout or delivery. So go to visitamarillo.com slash restaurants. And I want to say thanks again to SKP Creative for suggesting that website. And if you want to learn more about that company, go to skpcreative.com. Now, on to the show. This episode is being released on April 27th, 2020. These interviews were recorded prior to that. So, of course, things may have changed by the time you listen. I'm Alex Fairley, and my title is CEO here. Okay, Alex, thank you for being on the show. Tell me about the um, the contest that the Fairley Group introduced a few weeks ago. Yeah, we are calling it Inspire Amarillo. Uh, we built a website for it, but um, it was it was inspired by a, a video that I heard uh, on the internet of a choir that in this time when they couldn't meet together they did a virtual performance and besides the song you know being great um i just was inspired by the video around the the thought of of these people getting together anyway even though they they didn't get to do it in the normal way and they don't have their director in front of them and and um just that kind of determination to say, hey, we sing for a living and we're going to anyway, just kind of inspired us to, you know, have this contest, encourage people to connect, have a little fun. And um, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where it came about. Tell me about the response to the contest. Have you seen, you know, the, from the entries to the groups that are participating? I mean, has it uh, gotten the traction that you hoped it would? Yeah, we are kind of 
overwhelmed by the response in a positive way. Not only has the response been like way beyond what we thought, but the uh, the views of those right now, I think, are in the 70,000 range. And they've come from, you know, most of them are from the panhandle, but they've come from, I don't know how many, a dozen other states. They've come from other countries. They've come from other continents. And so, we're blown away by all of that, but we're probably mostly blown away by just how creative and talented. Um, I just never probably have thought about that much, that that much, but um, everyone has just been so creative and and had a good time. And so all, all of our expectations have been have been wildly um, exceeded. And it's it's been a diverse set of entries too. I mean, you've had everything from family members singing together to professionals and you know, large choirs and that kind of thing. I mean, it's, it runs the gamut of, of skills and creativity, all those things. Yeah, we, we identified the eight categories, frankly, hoping to get, uh, you know, a, a, a wide variety. That, that, was, that was really our goal for those categories, just to draw those different kind of people out. And so we feel like it succeeded at that. I think the, the other thing, though, that we have loved is, we, you know, when you see a video that, that's not like musically that great or that together or everyone's not perfectly in tune, you love them anyway. In fact, kind of even a little more because they're just doing it, not worrying about it. They're just letting their hair down and having a good time. And so, yeah, there's, there's, there's been a lot more variety of everything in ways that we really just didn't even, you know, think about when we began. Tell me about some of the goals of the contest. I mean, I, I know that, that there was one sort of overarching goal, which was to sort of boost the public spirit and have people come together and do something positive and fun. But there's also, you know, this uh, donations to charity that, that are part of it. So tell me how that's going to work. Yeah, so um, we have identified some judges that are going to pick the top three um, in their opinion in each category. And then the public will vote on who wins. And yeah, the idea to do something for charity was really probably just more of a reflection of our culture that we're trying to give away um, either ourselves or things that we have to, you know, to just to be a blessing to people. And so we're going to let the five top vote getting groups, I mean, they may be in, you know, they may, there may be two in one category, doesn't matter, but the five groups with the most votes are going to get to pick a uh, uh, a nonprofit or a charity that we're going to donate $5,000 to each of them. Um, so we just kind of added that as, you know, wanting to give away and do something and thinking that that would, that would just add a, a twist of, uh, it's great to have fun and let your hair down and be encouraged and be optimistic and all those things. But we wanted to add a piece to it that was, you know, giving something to people who could use it. And so the the public at this point can go vote for their their favorites at inspireamarillo.com. Is that the best place to do it? Yeah, inspireamarillo.com. The voting began on um, on Monday morning, and it'll it'll last until Wednesday evening. We we have added one more wrinkle that we didn't announce until the weekend, and that is that um, I got a, a few of of my kind of buddies together who helped with the baseball project, uh, Jerry Hodge and Bill Gillen and Richard Ware, and we are going to donate a dollar for every vote that's cast. And we're hoping that we're going to raise a, we're going to, we're hoping we're going to have a hundred thousand votes. And um, so um, that's, a, that's a wrinkle. We really hadn't even thought about it at the very beginning, but, but we're hoping to, you know, 
for the vote. So we want people to know that when they come and make a vote that they're giving a dollar, they're representing a dollar. We're actually giving the dollars to um, organizations that are feeding hungry children and families during the pandemic. So we're hoping to raise $100,000 with the vote. So yeah, everyone, we would love you to go out and vote and, uh, and help us put together some money for people who need it. Alex, taking a, a, a bit of a, a broader picture, what has this moment kind of shown you about Amarillo, about the business community, um, and just the way that people have come together? Yeah, it shows me that that we are one a pretty we're a pretty tight knit group. Like we're we're kind of all together. You get that sense that people are just in it together. People are grouped up in their families, or they work together, or whatever, and. And um, I think they're fun. I think they're generous. I think they're creative. Like, I think the best of Amarillo has come out in this. And I got to say, we, we can't take credit. We, we didn't see any of all those things. We just thought this would be fun. But I think it's a great picture of all these amazing things about, about Amarillo. One of the things I've been closing all these interviews with is asking my guests, what's bringing you hope right now? And so, you know, beyond seeing the community response, just maybe maybe in your business, among your colleagues, I mean, what's one thing that has given you some optimism about the current moment? Yeah, I, I think uh, a couple of things, seeing people just kind of, you know, rise to the occasion, which which a few weeks ago meant go home and kind of quit a lot of things and the attitude, the great attitude they did it with. Um I'm on the lieutenant governor's um, task force for reopening the Texas economy, and and it's taken a lot, a lot of time right now. But I have, have gotten the opportunity to be on the phone with a lot of, of business leaders around the state of Texas and various sectors of the economy, and to hear those people, um, you know, be optimistic at the same time being careful about how we do things and being so confident that Texas is going to rise out of this and be, you know, fantastic again, like that, that thing, that picture into that. And so many people who believe that is that that's probably the most encouraging thing going on for me right now. Okay. Alex Fairley, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. My name is Kelsey Forsberg and I have lived in Amarillo for just about 10 years now. I'm originally from Clovis, New Mexico, and I work in the medical profession, and I was actually one of the people that got furloughed, and so I found myself at home doing nothing with my three kids um, while my husband, who is also an essential worker, continued to work, and so um, I found myself with time and not much to do other than take care of the kids. And I love to sew. That's always been a passion of mine. And I actually had a friend who is a local nurse here who um, signed up to do a nursing contract in New Jersey. And uh, they were really shorthanded on PPE there. And so she actually contacted me and asked if I would make her some masks in order to take with her to New Jersey for her contract. And so that's kind of how it got started. So I made her a couple masks and then um, Litton had started the COVID help page. I honestly don't even know how I got into it, but somehow someone invited me. So I got into it and then I questioned if there was a need here locally for masks and other PPE. And so I just posted on the help page like, hey, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is a need or not, but if it is, I've got lots of scrap fabric and some elastic, I can throw together some masks if there's a need. And it kind of 
exploded from there. Um, lots and lots. I think I had over 500 requests within the first two or three days and I just got really overwhelmed with it. And so, uh, but I had a ton of people reach out to me to help me. And so that was really incredible to see so many people, um, actually reach out to help me to help the community. So I had lots of people offer to help organize the requests and, um, bring fabric donations and elastic and all of that. And so I just kind of got to town. I just made, oh, I finished my 500th mask yesterday. So <laughs> give me, cool. give me a sense. I mean, I know you've got young kids at home. I know, um, mm-hmm. yes, you're furloughed from your job, but that doesn't mean you're just sitting around all day. So tell me like how, no. how much time does it take you to make a mask and, um, you know, what, what has sort of the process been of getting orders and trying to get them delivered and mm-hmm. managing like all those, those different pieces? So I, um, it takes me, I average about an hour a mask. Um, I know there's a lot of people that can do it faster or slower, but I really do take a lot of pride in what I do. And I really put forth, um, the right effort with the right materials. I did the right research, um, because I really do take responsibility. I feel like if, I'm putting a mask on someone, I really am taking ownership of their protection. And so I did a lot of research through the CDC on what they recommended, what materials, um, like what qualifications and stuff like that. And so I really did put forth a lot of um, time and effort into making sure what I was putting out is what was going to work and um, what was recommended. Given that, how have you gone about actually getting the masks to different people who like them? Are, are you preparing them in bulk and delivering them to, you know, to companies? Is it one by one with individuals? How does that work? It's I'm pretty much doing all over the map. So I started out with those few little orders and then I ended up doing some individual orders through the COVID help page. And I still fulfill orders just for individual people. And they actually will just porch pick up from my house. So I've got a nice basket on my porch and you'll get a brown paper bag with your name on it. And so you just tell me when you're on your way, you can come pick it up off my porch. And then um, I've made masks for uh, Texas Tech and a couple other doctor's offices. And I usually coordinate with someone from their office and they're really good because of my kids. I can't just throw all my kids in the car and run all over town. Um, everyone's been really good about, you know, dropping off materials or picking up the masks from my house. So that's usually the most popular way that I think there's been a handful of people who, um, special circumstances, either they don't have a vehicle or they don't have a way to come pick them up and I'll load the kids up and (laughs) we'll go drop off masks for a day. One of the things that I've heard from a lot of people is, you know, whether they've been furloughed from their jobs, some of them have lost their jobs, some of them, you know, just aren't working as much, even though they may be working from home. Mm -hmm. And so they've found activities that maybe give them a feeling of purpose, like they're doing something helpful or they're doing something productive that day. I mean, do, do you feel like, like making masks, even if you can't work right now, you know, as as an essential worker in the medical community, you can still do this one thing. Is is it can I have that sense for you? Yes. I found myself, I mean, who I'm one of those people that I'm going to suffer from that anxiety and that depression whenever I mean really your world gets flipped upside down because you've had this routine, you've had, you know, this is what I do every day and then all of a sudden all of that stops. 
and you sit around and you just start worrying and you start catastrophizing on, you know, worst case scenario of what all of this could be. And then you find out how unproductive that is. And you say, I have to do something. I have to uh, keep my mind busy. I have to take care of my family. And in order to take care of my family, I have to maintain a um, stable mindset of how can I help and how can I be productive while I'm watching all of this take place. One of the things, Kelsey, that I've been asking all of my guests is what is one thing that's been giving you hope during this moment? So as you interact with the public, you've interacted with businesses, with doctor's offices. Um, you know, what's What are some of the things you're seeing that makes you feel optimistic about our community and, and how we're responding to this crisis? I think the the support of everyone, um, everywhere from like my husband, my husband, obviously he's not the biggest fan of me taking hours on end from our time at night. (laughs) So, but he's been so gracious and he knows, you know, that I really am being purposeful and productive with that time. And so he's taken to helping me, like he'll sit there and cut for me and iron for me. He'll even run the serger for me. And so seeing his sacrificial love in supporting me in that, And then our church has been absolutely wonderful of supporting um, the community and making sure that their members and the community are taken care of. We get calls, you know, multiple times throughout the week from our church staff, just checking in on us, seeing if we need anything, seeing if I need fabric or anything that they can help with. And then even just the community through social media. I've I've had so many people, um, I've had some stuff go on, you know, in our personal life. And people I don't even know are dropping off chocolate on my front door just to show me, you know, that they care and they're supportive of me. And it just means a lot that people who can't even sew or can't do any of that are doing what they can to help me get those masks out and to help make sure that I'm taking care of myself while I'm trying to take care of these other people. Kelsey Forsberg, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. You are welcome. I appreciate you looking to see where... Um, we can support each other and how we can encourage each other. That really means a lot to make sure that everyone's taken care of. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Kelsey. You're welcome. Uh, hello. Uh, my name is Tremaine Brown, uh, owner of Shali's Barbecue and Soul Food. Thanks for being on the show. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So I know that Shiley's has been really instrumental in helping get meals to kids who otherwise might not have any options during the day. So tell me, tell me what your restaurant has been doing and, and what the response has been. Well, um, for years, uh, not just in a response to uh, the pandemic, but for years, I, I'm a single father. So I, I have a heart for, for kids. And uh, every year for about the past five, six years, I would uh, feed the kids during the whole week of spring break. I would uh, go to uh, one of my neighborhood parks, one of about five or six neighborhood parks, and uh, post on Facebook that I'm feeding the kids in the park. Sometimes 50 show up, sometimes 250 would show up, and uh, I'd feed them every day. Sometimes uh, uh, the same park. Sometimes I'd, I'd rotate around. Um, and then uh, throughout that same year in the summer, I would uh, visit those neighbor- neighborhood parks again probably two, three times out of the week just because the summer is the, there's the same need for meals as spring break because I know kids 
that aren't in school uh, miss out on those uh, important breakfasts and lunches that the, the AISD feeds them. So this year, when the pandemic broke out, it broke right at spring break. And then the week following spring break, they were notified that there wouldn't be any school. And as, as of right now, there's still no school. So what I came up with, the idea I came up with, is uh, to start feeding kids lunches, uh, uh, free kids lunches at the restaurant. And uh, it's been an amazing response uh, to date. My family and I have uh, packaged up uh, around 30,000 lunches in 25 days. Wow. And uh, handed, handed them out to uh, uh, people who needed them. Uh, they come up to the restaurant, tell us how many uh, uh, kids they they have or, or that, that they need, and we'd give them to them, and they'd be on their way. Um, yeah, so before this uh, uh, pandemic, there was a, there was a uh, crisis uh, of starving children anyway. So that's just how uh, I wanted to confront uh, this situation and the pandemic and and you know uh the the loss of jobs uh some some households went from uh two two income families to zero income families right uh there's a there's a lot of uh uh non essential workers out there that don't get to make a living uh and haven't been able to make a living for over a month now uh, and you also have essential workers like myself who have uh restaurants but we have to do curbside. And, uh, you know, the, the unique thing about Shali's, we're really, really small. So our dining area isn't the size of a place like Texas Roadhouse or, you know, Cheddar's or, or anybody for that matter. We're just a hole in the wall, so to speak. And uh, so we didn't really feel the impact of uh, the pandemic like those places who had to lay off or fire uh, most of their wait staff, most of their kitchen staff, host hostesses and bartenders and things of that nature um, lost their jobs. So uh, this is just one way that, uh, you know, I want to give back to the community. You know, yes, it's in response to uh, the pandemic, but I've been doing uh, this sort of uh, community outreach for uh, several years. We just finished uh, our seventh annual Christmas toy drive during Christmas holidays. Uh, again, you have a lot of families that uh, can't afford to get their kids uh, toys. So, you know, we visit the local hospitals, uh, uh, Salvation Army, Martha's Home, uh, the Ronald McDonald House, and I uh, filled thousands of uh, Facebook messages uh, that sound uh, something like my sister-in-law, she's having a hard time. She has four kids. Uh, they can't do anything for them for Christmas. And uh, I get their information. I show up on the doorstep with bags of gifts. So uh, we, uh, we've been doing, you know, <clears throat> as a business owner, uh, instead of running commercials and doing radio spots and newspaper spots and things of that nature, I just like to save up my money and um, 
any money that I would normally do those things with, I just give it back uh, to the community uh, in some shape, form, or fashion, whether it be an Easter egg hunt to, to build some memories and make some kids smile or, uh, like now, uh, sacking up these lunches and, uh, you know, you know, it's it's not much, but, you know, it's at least one nutritious meal and, and a few snacks for later. I know as a single parent, uh, the parents are, you know, pulling their hair out. Uh, uh, kids walking all day at home all day for this duration that they haven't been in school, going in and out of the refrigerator, getting this and snacking and that kind of thing. So hopefully this just, you know, softens the blow of a, what you know parents are going through right now yeah tremaine I don't, I don't think there's any question how much good you know you've been able to do as a result of this you know i i've thought about your business and, and knowing that it's you know it's small and probably not a huge high volume restaurant um you know how long do you think you'll be able to continue to provide these meals i mean thirty thousand meals over a month is just a ton of of different meals and and that you're essentially donating to people Right. Yeah, we're averaging about 1,100 uh, uh, sack lunches a day. Uh, there's been an amazing response, as there always is. Uh, I want everybody to know that I'm just a vessel. Uh, I'm just a person that comes up with ideas. Uh, I have I had some money to, to start it with, but I didn't have 30,000 uh, lunches uh, worth of money. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, I have an awesome Facebook following. Uh, my family's awesome. They always come through. The patrons that were have been coming to the restaurant for the past 10 years have been following me and all of the community outreach and things that I do. So uh, they've responded uh, uh, the same uh, with donations, monetary donations. Uh, customers and, and friends alike have brought uh, snack items, lunch items to the restaurant for me to to put in uh, uh, with the sack lunches. So that's how we've uh, been able to do the, the volume that we've done. Uh, it's not not only me. Uh, like I said, uh, my family, well, we have essentially not had a day off in uh, this month and a half yeah. because even the days off that me and my mother and my sister and my uncle would have normally taken off, we've uh, been there you know, seven days a week, which we do the lunches for five days a week uh, from 12 to 3, Monday through Friday. But then, you know, we <clears throat> still have to try to make a living uh, for ourselves. Uh, uh, and we're, we're doing okay, and it's just a blessing. Anybody who's able to uh, uh, work uh, during this time, uh, they should count it as a blessing. Yeah. One, because so many have lost jobs, and two, uh, you ought to be able to save or at least catch up on some things if you're blessed enough to have a job that's still paying you and giving you full-time hours because there's really nothing else entertainment-wise that you can be spending your money on because it's yeah. closed. So, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of a, a double win for those that are able to still work and uh, and, and get paid and, and, and that type of thing because, you know, you can't take your kids uh, to the movies or bowling or uh, any of that kind of stuff. So, but you know, we, m my daughter, you know, I've always, uh, since I became a single father, my daughter, she's never met her mother. And, uh, 
you know, that, that pulls at me tremendously. But I always wanted her to uh, learn about loving other people uh, despite of what's going on. You can you can respond to to things uh, in a few different ways, and the, the best way I know to respond to things is with love and, and compassion, and and uh, you know caring about y- your fellow man, and uh, just trying to just trying to help the best way we know how. There's a there's a there's only a few things that uh, really bring bring people together, you know. Politics sure as hell ain't one of them, <laughs> but <laughs> music and sports and food uh, are three that I can think of right offhand that kind of transcend uh, all the, the the hate and the the different types of things that go on in the world today. And uh, I'm just happy and blessed to to be one of those mediums that are universal. You know, everybody has to eat. And uh, so, you know, just being able to give back in this fashion is, uh, is, a, is a real blessing. So I, I look at it as, you know, who, who's really getting blessed here? Is it, is it, who's, who's the most blessed? Am I the most blessed or is someone getting these sack lunches uh, uh, the most blessed? And I, I think I'm winning. All right. That's a good word to end on. Tremaine Brown, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me. I'm Russell Lowry Hart uh, from uh, Amarillo College and currently the president of Amarillo College. And Russell, tell me what your current setup is. I understand that you've moved out of your typical office and uh, are doing something different right now at AC. Um, I've closed the college down to one building, the Ware Student Commons, and have moved my office uh, along with some family photos and some books that I like to look at since I don't have time to read them to the circle desk and then greeting students that need access to technology or resources in our social services, taking their temperature, um, finding out how they're doing, and then directing them to the, the resources they need. So Emerald College, of course, like like other universities, has been closed except for distance learning, but you still have a lot of students who maybe don't have the technology at home. And so that's why having those resources available for them is still so important. It's a, it's a true equity issue. And this pandemic has exposed um, one of the great inequities that we haven't spent enough time talking about. Uh, and it's the technology divide. We have students that claim to have technology and then they can do their coursework on it, but that technology is a phone, which isn't conducive to writing papers or taking tests. So for us, if we were going to move to a tech-supported learning environment, I had to make sure that students had access to the technology they needed to be successful, and that meant keeping a computer lab open, and it meant keeping some way for students to come in and get help when they needed it. Give me a sense of how many students have been either needing, you know, this lab or this access or or have been making use of it over the past few weeks. We're seeing about 50 to 60 students a day. Um, Some are needing computer access. Uh, Some are needing 
uh, library access. They don't, they can't afford the textbook, so they have to check it out from the library. Um, and then we have some that are needing access to the food pantry or the baby supply closet or just need help with emergency aid. And um, so we're seeing about 50 to 60 of those students a day. I know that as the president of AC, you have been, you know, have always been very present, um, just individually, you know, among your students. But right now you're in a uniquely positioned you know, opportunity to where you're literally taking their yeah. temperature or you're, you're giving them access yeah. to stuff. So tell me, I mean, what have you learned maybe about the college, about the students, about yourself? I mean, what has that been like for you? Well, I've been in the circle desk for a month and I was reflecting on all the students that I've met and the amazing stories they've shared. And there's some, some themes that have emerged um, how many of our students are in an economic crisis. I knew that they were perilously on the edge economically before the pandemic, and now they're fully in an economic crisis because the two part-time jobs they were working, mostly in service industries, are no longer there for them. Yeah. And so food pantry, being able to pay, pay utility bills, gas cards, those things have become critical a lot of our students have some access to technology at home, but they don't have confidence in leveraging it. So I'll give you an example. I had a student that brought her laptop in today um, because she was really struggling to get access to this one assignment in her class. She just needed someone to look at the assignment and go, oh, you <laughs> You just need to open this in a different browser. It's up here. Like it's just little things where they they can do it. They just need an extra boost of confidence, or they need someone to help them learn how to use the tools they have access to, or they need the tools themselves. And and the third thing that I've learned that um, has been really helpful and insightful is that we still have bureaucracy that's getting in the way of students. And I see it every day now because students are coming to request a transcript and to uh, request a degree plan or need to see an advisor to get a, to get greenlit so they can register for summer and fall classes. And we're pointing them to websites and the websites may not explain it in a way that our students understand or can access, or they just need someone to look at them and say, we got your paperwork <laughs> because we weren't giving them any verification that their submission was received. It's little things, but it's big things. You know, for, I'm, for example, our emergency aid, we were requiring three signatures. Well, in this environment, you don't get to have three signatures. So we found a workaround. Well, if we found the workaround without three signatures now, then why would we need them in, in a normal quote in quote situation? Yeah. I think we've got an opportunity to get better because of this. Uh, and our students as always can be our, our guides to tell us how to be better. One of the things I've been asking each of my guests as as I try to document this moment is what is something that's giving you hope? So I, I wonder in your 
interactions with students or with faculty uh, or with the community around you? I mean, what's what's something that you're seeing that makes you optimistic? There's so much. Um, but I see hope in my students who seem to be losing their hope. But here's here's the hope that I see. They're in a crisis. They still know that their way out of it is an education. And I had a student tell me a couple of days ago that she's nervous about coming up to the college, even though we're social distancing and cleaning like crazy, but she was more nervous about not being able to get her test taken. She had her two twin daughters with her. Her laptop was so old that it wouldn't load some of the the programs that she needed, but she got help. And that gives me hope. If a student has the confidence to seek help, I know they're going to be successful. I'm seeing people come in and drop and, and, and giving um, our advocacy and resource center diapers and feminine hygiene products and food, um, even in a crisis where they may be uh, constricting their own finances, they're still providing support for other people. And that's the thing that I love the most about this community in a crisis, we are going to take care of each other, and we got a crisis, and I see people taking care of each other. Russell Lowry-Hart, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. My privilege. And that concludes the episode. First, I want to say thanks to my guests for volunteering their time to be interviewed, and to Angelina Marie for editing these shows. Thanks also to SKP Creative, and don't forget to check out visitamarello.com slash restaurants, and go to inspireamarello.com to vote on the submissions to the Fairly Group's Stay Home and Sing contest. Some of those are really, really good. I'm grateful for everyone who listens, of course, especially those of you who support this show financially through patreon.com slash heyamarello. That includes my executive producers, Jess Heredia, Joshua Rafe, Valerie Gooch, Josh Wood, Chriselda, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Jennifer Callahan, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, and Corey Burns. This has been episode 141, believe it or not. My name is Jason Boyette. Stay safe, stay home, and love your neighbor.